What's up, everybody? This is the Growing Up Italian Podcast, and today we have a special guest, my good friend, Lou B. What is going on, Lou? Hey, thank you for having me today. This is long overdue. Yeah. We've been talking about doing this for months, since the clubhouse days. (laughs) Through the pandemic. Through through all that time, but for those of you who don't know Lou B, he is someone I look up to, so it is only right... I sit down with him and have this moment documented of just giving him his flowers because in my world, what I, all of I've been through in my life, he is somebody that I could compare myself to, someone I look up to, and someone I try to follow his lead. So I just want to thank you for everything you've done in the industry. You are super creative. You are a genius in your own right. And I'm so thankful you're sitting down with me today. Uh, look, I appreciate that. You know, I've always supported what you do and, uh, I love you raising that flag for Italian people every day. I know you really push it more than I do, and I appreciate that from my point of view. Oh, thank you, Lou. So the people that don't know you are going to learn who Lou B is, and the people that already know you are going to learn a little bit more. I hope. Because there's a lot of people in my world that know who you are. You know, like guys like from the Jersey Shore that you've helped get on the show, such and so forth. Like You've done so much, but you come from a family business like me. You grew up in a family business. I'm sure you started working at a very young age. Could you tell us a little bit about how it is working in a family business? Yeah, so my, my grandfather is the original Gino of Gino's Italian Isis and Gino's Pizzeria. He was one of the first people in America to have a pizzeria, and he brought my entire family along, and uh, we have a lot of places now um, throughout the sort of the northeast yeah. is our main, but... Uh, Growing up um, in the restaurant business, I worked till I was like 16, 17 mm-hmm. uh, in that business. It's, it's tough. And as you know, you still know today, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and following in my grandfather's footsteps every day is a, is a journey. Big, big shoes to fill. Big, impossible to fill. Me and yeah. my cousin always say that. Wait, uh, just, I wanted to touch on this real quick, but for those of you who don't know, Gino's Ice is like... <laughs> Was it not sold in, like, every pizzeria? Like, I've seen that Gino's sure. Isis sticker everywhere. Well, it was the first Italian ice company, and um, when there was no air condition, my grandfather used to bring a freezer uh-huh. in the pizzeria and cans and cans and trucks and trucks every day. I mean, it was a big business for a very long time, mm-hmm. and then so many others opened throughout the years, mm-hmm. um, and air condition came in and TCVY yogurt and things like that, but... Um, it was, a, it was a special thing for a lot of people, you know, to go get an ice after a hot day. What year did that start, more or less? Uh, he came, he was like through the 60s. He really started picking everything up real heavy in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, Gino, Gino's has got to be one of the most famous pizzerias in all of New York. So your grandfather's a legend. He, he put the flag down and... There's still a bunch of Genos out there, right? Yeah, so the, the great thing about my grandfather is uh, he passed away many years ago, but um, he was a big job creator, right? He came here with nothing and <laughs> where's, your, where's your family come from in Italy? We're more of like Salerno. Oh, we're Paisans then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he provided 
jobs. And mm-hmm. now today there's thousands and thousands of people and Italians that are fully taken care of, right? Yeah. They all have mm-hmm. jobs yeah. and uh, work hard every day at it. And he, he definitely gave them that platform. No, man, salutes to him, man, because he's a pioneer to that whole industry. Now, was there a moment for you where you just said, like, I can't work in this family business? Was there, like, something that just was a straw that broke the camel's back and you're like, I'm not going to do this? Because like, me, I had those moments where I stopped working for my dad for three years because I couldn't do it. And then, I mean, I want to hear your story, but I didn't get my father's respect until I did it on my own. And that's where club promoting kind of came in because he saw one Thanksgiving Eve, I had like three grand cash. He's like, where did this come from? You know? <laughs> so I'm curious to hear like what your journey was like. I love the restaurant business. Um, it's hospitality and it's the same thing as what I do today. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to um, just do something different. Um, I didn't always want to be viewed as the guy mm-hmm. that was given something. So that's a tough journey. I get that a lot. It's a tough journey. I get that a lot. You know, Growing up with kids, oh, you have nothing to worry about. You know, you got nothing to worry about. about Anybody say you have gold spoon? You were born with a gold spoon? Things like that. And and as much as you want to hear that, you don't, right? And uh, for me, it was, I'm going to do this in a business that nothing can be given to me. I want to do this in a lane that no one can take away my credit. Though my family helped me tremendously and everything they taught me, I apply every day. Um, I just wanted to do my own lane. So I actually became a co-caller. I actually worked in the stock market. Oh, so you were- For a good year and a half. You were selling stocks? Trying. (laughs) But um, that was my first journey. And- um, That was your first journey alone? Yeah. That was my first journey alone. And And, it um, didn't work out? It just- No, I uh, started going to the Hamptons. Ah. Um. I stumbled onto a nightclub there. Okay. And I was, my eyes just lit up of seeing how things were. What was the name of the place? Of the it was venue? called Life in the Hamptons. All the way out east. Yeah, I mean, South not Montauk. Yeah. Southampton. It was called Life. It was a 23,000 square foot nightclub. And that's really where my journey began. So you started promoting or? No. Or how um, did you get into it? No. So what happened was, it's a crazy story. Um, it was all different celebrities up in the VIP. Puff Daddy, uh-huh. Jay-Z, this one, that one. I'm scared to party with Puff Daddy. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You <laughs> would get me nervous. So um, I wanted to get in that VIP room. At that time, my girlfriend and her friends um, were with me. I tried to give uh, the security guard uh, money to get in. And he sort of said, you know, you don't belong in this room. And I, I sort of looked at that as like sort of like an Italian knock, like... What do you mean? Like, why don't I belong in there? And um, he kept going on and on about it, and I went on and on about it. And I said, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to find a way to buy this club, and I'm going to fire you. And he thought I was bluffing, and I think everyone there did as well. So he was laughing at you? Yeah. That, that fueled you? That was like, you know, for me. That was your motivation. That was it, right? And um, I started doing my research when I left there, and I found out the owners there were having money trouble, mm-hmm. lease trouble, and I contacted the landlord. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, if you want to rent it, you can rent it, but there's no guarantee that you're going to have it. 
I it was paid. like a month by month basis. Yeah, kind of it was just like a messed up lease. Mm-hmm. And I worked out a deal with him and I paid for it. Um, and at that time I had investors come in and help me. You know, I didn't have money of my own at that time. So investors came in and helped me. I said, I'm going to buy this club. They knew I worked hard and, um, I got it. And I went to the owners that were there and I said, look, we can go, we can go partners. And uh, it's on the, just one condition. That guy got to go. You have to fire that guy. <laughs> That's and classic. Literally she called him and said, I don't know what you did, but, um, you're fired. And that was it right there. I got, do the you business. know his name or something? Or you just yeah. know, but it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. That's classic. Now, when you got involved, did you do something different? Yeah, like, I did. Oh, I brought all stockbrokers, right? So I brought stockbrokers and, um, at that time brokers were making a lot of money. So I started inviting all of them. And then I started using some great friendships that I had in the past of getting some celebrities there. And that really turned into something. When you could bring money, you could bring celebrities, and you could bring work ethic. Mm. And um, for those that know, you know, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. That's so, so funny. So I stay, you know, totally focused on what I'm doing. Everything we're promoting you to come do, drink and have a good time. <laughs> but we're there, serious. Yeah. Now, is there a reason why you like that? Was there like a time when you were a little like a little tipsy and you weren't moving right or something? Or no, I just, like uh, I hate, I hated being hungover and I always liked being in control of what, what I was doing. doing. Yeah. Um, and I have a very like strict family and I sort of didn't want to be looked at in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then I realized real early in the business that if you don't drink and you don't do drugs, you'll be taking much more serious. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I respect that for us, as you know, being Italian, sometimes when you enter, enter into certain businesses, they, they don't take you serious because we don't speak well. Yeah. We don't write well. Not all of yeah. us, but me and you, we're regular guys, yeah. right? And um, to be taken serious, you have to work really hard. You got to work double everybody yeah, absolutely. else. Absolutely. It's funny you say that because, like, in this industry now, you know, I'm in a social media world, and sometimes you get these email things where – you know, I don't write well at all. You know, I dropped out of school. I dropped out of college three times. But I'm the person, like, you call me, I get it done, you know? And I'm sure you're the same way because you told me a great story one time about how you got in contact with Jerry Springer and brought him to the Broncos game. You want to tell that story yeah, real quick? It's a, it's a crazy story. but um, This is a clubhouse story, by the way, guys, that... <laughs> I just want to have it documented for us because it was one of my favorite stories I heard. And it just, for a young entrepreneur out there, this is like the blueprint you should follow. Like when you want to get something done, you could find a way to get it done. So I knew a bunch of the Denver Broncos from being a stockbroker. And um, I, they said, I said, I could get anything done. And I would always push on that. And they said, yeah, get Jerry Springer to the New York Jets versus the Denver Broncos playoff game. And I'm like, I'll do it, no problem. And meanwhile, I run in the other room. I have no idea what's going, how am I going to do this? I called 411. I got the number of the Jerry Springer show. I non-stopped, was calling there and calling there, saying, hey, the Denver Broncos want to invite Jerry. And little did I know, Steve Wilkos is a huge Jet fan. Oh, is he? Okay. The game was in Denver. And uh, Steve, who's a dear friend of mine today, still, and then Jerry too. Um, I kept calling them. Um, and they put me through to the next 
the next person, the next person. I said, I'm calling for the Denver Broncos. Uh-huh. Get me through. I had a cold caller skills, right? So I was like pounding away. Next thing you know, I get uh, their assistant. I got this hot stock. I got this hot yeah, stock. You train like yeah. that. Um, I get their assistant on the phone, and I said, the Denver Broncos want to invite Jerry Springer to the playoff game. I got 50-odd line tickets, and, um, man, I get this call, and they're like, yeah, Jerry's going to come in. I couldn't believe it. For free, too? Like, he didn't want, like... No, he, he thought he was invited to the game. I mean, I was... So you bought tickets for him? No, the guys gave me the oh, tickets, they gave you right? the tickets, They gave me the 50-odd line tickets, and... Uh, I get a limousine, and I pick up Jerry and Steve. And you're in the limousine, right? Yeah. Still have the picture. Steve puts me in a headlock, and he's like, I wanted to come here, and I meet Jerry for the first time. And uh, we go to the Denver Bronco game, and when I tell you, John Elway turned his head, and the entire stadium was cheering. Jerry! You know, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. I saw that that, uh, punchline coming. Yeah, so that was... uh, this is the high, This is like the peak of the Jerry yeah, Springer show. Yeah, right. And they, they wanted him there. They, they, to, to them, that was the guy they wanted there at the game. Yeah. And just walking through the locker room with him and those Broncos just like seeing me get it done. I mean, they, they, they just couldn't believe it. Seeing John Elway take a picture with Jerry Springer was... Because uh, of you. Yeah, Did he give exactly. you photo creds on Instagram? Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> on, on MySpace? Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but um, that's when I started to realize like... Persistence over resistance. All how the time. long? How long did it actually take? How many hours of work did it take to actually get Jerry to? Like, I would say it was about hours? twenty hours of phone calls of nonstop. See? Some calling. people would give up after an hour. Yeah, and and still to this day, like Steve is one of my really my dearest friends. Steve from the the bodyguard. The now he bodyguard. has his own show. Yeah, his own show, but he's still like one of my dearest friends. I. Wasn't Jerry, like, going crazy, like, doing all these spring break things? You were booking him for so that. I was, so we became friends, and uh-huh. then now I'm in that lane, um, and I started getting him to do appearances in MTV Spring Break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we were running through the days of, like, scribbles and, and everything and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, but we had a lot of shows after that. We did a lot of stuff together. It was cool. Man, that, that <laughs> just goes to show, like, when you want to do something, yeah. you just got to – it's all – up here, like if you want to yeah. get it done, you'll get it done. Now, after that, you started doing. Was that after that you started doing Glow, or is there a step we're missing? No, I was in the Hamptons. I had a long run in the Hamptons. I had another nightclub. I actually. The Hamptons is like a seasonal thing. Yeah, no? it was Memorial Day to Labor Day, and uh-huh. um, I had some clubs out there, and I started bringing sort of like dance music out there, little by little. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Hamptons at that time was incredible, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, you're speaking of every celebrity that wants to go to someplace hot. That's the spot, yeah. right? That is the, that's the spot at that time. Because Hamptons is hot now. It is. I feel like back then was hotter, right? Yeah, it was, it was different, right? Because it was one of the only big hot spots. And anyone really successful in the nightclub business now or hospitality came out of the Hamptons, right? Mm-hmm. All the towel guys, yeah, yeah. all from the Hamptons. Um, all the different groups that came out of the Hamptons run the world in hospitality right now. It's real. It's a real interesting place at a real interesting time. And I just happen to be one of the guys that got out there at the exact right time. So it's all about being, as, as good as a hard worker you are, being lucky is very important too. Like getting there at that time and not three years later yeah. made all the difference. Yeah, definitely. So then after that, what made, like what was the transition to getting into like, Glow and, you know, Jonathan Peters stuff. Like. Yeah, so um, I started getting good at what I did by applying, like, 
real strong work ethic. Um, and then I got a call from Jonathan Peters, who at that time was really the hottest, one of the hottest yeah. DJs in the world, and a very real pioneer. Um, to the dance pine, music, yeah, to dance music, you yeah. know, he's the, the the main DJ at the Sound Factory. Um, and this is before EDM, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah, this definitely. is no such thing as that. Definitely, um, he needed a manager who could sort of control everything, as he controlled the music. He wanted the event controlled, so he he heard about this guy who works really hard, doesn't do drugs, doesn't drink, um, and I met him, and um, he said, "I'm looking for a manager." And um, I just said, I, if I do it, I have to do it my way, right? I just, you, you spin and I do everything else. And he said, deal. And uh, I managed Jonathan for about eight years. And he's still a dear friend of mine. We still do some shows together. Managing really wasn't for me, but um, one of the most amazing talents in the history of, of dance music. Yeah. I mean, when you He's a pioneer. Big, he's a pioneer to it. Big Whitney Houston mixes, Big Madonna, Like a Prayer, My Love is Your Love, yeah. Christina yeah, yeah, Aguilera, yeah, yeah. Hurt, like all these projects. Who was doing yeah, was songs like that? No one, you know, only a few guys. I mean, I remember my parents would leave me and my sister home. Like, we're going to Jonathan Pierce at Sound Factory. Yeah. I, swear on, I swear on everything I love. I could call my dad right now and he'll, and he'll say that. But, yeah, I mean, those days was like the golden days of going out, sure. I feel. He would spin for three days straight. That's what people don't understand. Yeah, that too. He would start on a Friday and end on a Sunday. Right? But he would like go out for 12 hours and come back, right? No. No? See, was... that's, that's the misconception. No. He would stay. He would spin yeah. 72 hours straight? Mm, 36 was a little bit more easy than the longer three-day runs, but um, yeah. How does someone even do that? That's crazy. <laughs> he, he... A lot of Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so, man... That's, that's just, uh, that's great stories, man. And like I said before we started recording, I've always known who Lou B was growing up because I started promoting and you were kind of like the top of what we could get to. Like, we looked at you as like, all right, if we do everything perfect, one day we could be like him. So like, I remember meeting your aunt at my panini shop in Maspeth and, you know, that's when, you know, I was like, oh, wow, that's him. Yeah, he matches this guy and does that and... And I remember, like, you were doing all the glow parties. Yeah. I mean, weren't you doing, like, Friday and Saturday? No, we, I was uh, doing glow Fridays, and that was, a, that was a big thing for me because dance music at that time wasn't very popular, and um, I found an owner who was ready to support my vision. Um, I wanted to turn Fridays into dance music in Long Island. No one was doing this type of Party, yeah. organized... It was always dance music in Long Island, but not, like, an organized show of, like, every week at this level, um, when DJs were started rising. And um, the owner there, John Sr., who passed away, um, he, he gave me the checkbook, and he said, go to work. Get this done. Because yeah, the talent you guys had, like, in Long Island is crazy. Like, yeah, just everyone. Eric right? Murillo. I mean, you know the names better than me, but... Yeah, just um, Anybody. from Tiesto to uh, Avicii. That was like one of his second shows in America. Yeah. It was still Tim Berg at the time. And um, I was just pushing and pushing and pushing. And all of a sudden, it hit. And we became this place that was like Las Vegas and Long Island. And yeah. um, I remember when agents started calling me, I couldn't believe it. Because I would always beg, literally beg to get a show. And um, then people were trying to 
just go directly to you like this guy's gonna be in town can you book yeah him? i would hear i would get that i, I worked hand in hand with uh pasha in new york city and uh the late rob fernandez um and um eddie dean and they sort of supported me in helping me get the talent when they were in town right so, so you would they would play by you on fridays and then Pasha on saturdays we did some stuff like that or more yeah. of like they'll Double spin at this time and then a month later they'll come back so okay. um, i was i worked at pasha for nine years of my life um, it's another legendary New York yeah, City spot right? that so everybody's been to. Sound Factory was Pasha then too, right? Sound Factory yeah. turned into Pasha. To Pasha, yeah. Right? So I remember was, that. You know, a lot of the stuff I did was all simultaneous, right? So I was doing all these things at the same time. And that's where it started really to get I'll crazy. tell you, I'll tell you a quick story about Pasha. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned really quick that I was like, not the party for me because... You know, Pasha is like one of those places where people would party. Like, people would party till 3 a.m. and then go to Pasha. Yeah. So I remember going there one night, and like, I'm like, you, I don't like to drink. So I'm just there, and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, you have walks of all life there. It's New York I'm like, City. yeah, I cannot be in the middle of this dance floor. It's you know? New York City melting pot, right? It's, that's, that's what it's about. But that was like a legendary place, and there's really nothing comparable to, to Pasha right now. Yeah, well, New York City has definitely changed, and uh, that, that, just upsets me at a, at a whole nother level, right? Because we All had so many different close, options. Yeah. Um, we had so many different options. Pasha had one of the longest runs ever for a, a nightclub, and uh, they closed by choice. Um, oh, really? They yeah, they, they, closed, nah, they closed by choice. It, it was the right time and the right moment. Um, they wanted to go out on top, and, and that's how that went down. Yeah. I mean, if you, have, if you have lived in New York City in the last 15 years and not been to one of these guys' parties, you're not living life right. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. You're well, doing right some now, great things in yeah, Atlantic I'm, City. I'm uh, living in Atlantic City for the last three years, and I uh, promote a nightclub and beach club called HQ. Um, the biggest party in Atlantic City. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, I am part of like uh, an incredible team out there. Um, we work with you know from management to my um, um, to bookings. We have just like this incredible team of people that really love what they do, mm -hmm. and we brought. Um, a different shine to it and now once again the biggest djs in the world are there from cascade to tiesto taioki mm -hmm. um you had cascade last week right no we have them labor day oh labor day that's yeah, right that's but, right um, i saw you Tiesto's post that. coming up ioki um doing a jonathan peters event again oh there you go um and we just had so many big acts that have been there for the last three years i mean it it's it's wild right it's the the closest thing you're gonna get to like miami and las vegas right now is hq2 beach club and nightclub in atlantic city i mean atlantic city is the east coast is las vegas yeah absolutely like when we were there for sopranos con we got on the phone and you're like why don't you hit me up and i'm like because everybody i spoke to that night was like we're going to hq i'm like i'm not gonna bother him plus i was already tired but you could ask my cousin rocco he's like are we gonna go to hq or no i'm like well, I, I, I don't want to bother him. You never bother him. But <laughs> listen, you guys were killing it there. Like everybody and their mother was in HQ that weekend. Yeah, it was so doing you guys really have well. something special. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, throughout your career, some stuff hits and some stuff doesn't. This is uh, one of the things that definitely hit. It's hitting right now. Yeah. Listen, man, Lou, you're you're an inspiration, man. Um, I remember, you know, a little story. I remember everybody was involved in this Nassau Coliseum thing you did. Sure. And it was like the first big festival in New York. Now, I remember, like, all these Long Island kids I worked with, you had everybody pushing this. Like, yeah, you put together a crazy team. It was like 
all these super promoters. Like, how are these guys working together? And then, you know, I heard that you were at the top of it. But, like, just the fact you put that together is, is history in itself. Well, it was, um, it was one of the most successful and unsuccessful days of my life. Um, I reached the pinnacle for me and the bottom of the barrel in the same day. Um, it was the first dance music show ever at Nassau Coliseum. Um, no one really wanted to touch that. Um, and I, I put it on sale. We sold like 300 tickets. We were short about 13,000 tickets at the time. And what I did was I printed hard tickets. I went on the street. I worked with every promoter that I worked, over, over 250 promoters. Yeah, see, I, that's uh, what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I remember, yeah. like everybody pushing those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, so I, I reached out to everyone and said, can you sell tickets for the show? I want to do dance music here. And um, we got to sell out the week before. It was Halloween. It was Halloween Saturday, the day before Sandy Storm. And um, we got this show to sell out. An additional 5,000 people showed up. So remember, this show looked like it was going to fail. But I pushed so hard that we got it to sell out. And unfortunately, the, the venue just couldn't handle it at the time. They just weren't ready for this type of event mm -hmm. and the 5,000 additional people outside got inside. They like and broke in or something? They just, just, they heard the music and everyone was just like, we're going in. And That's crazy. Um, we have a helicopter bringing the DJ. Which DJ was it? This was in the helicopter was Alesso. Oh shit. Okay. So Alesso's coming down and um, police are starting to be called now because the Nassau Coliseum's out of control. So they're, <laughs> they're coming in in horseback and I see, um, these police jump off their horse and I see the horses like running into the stadium and I see my logo across the stadium. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dead, right? I'm dead. And I see the police aiming at the helicopter because they don't know that this helicopter is scheduled to land. And I was like, they're going to shoot a lasso out of the sky. <laughs> what is it? They thought it was like They a... just didn't know because they weren't really supposed to be called there. So now they see this helicopter coming down from the sky about to land on the crowd. They're aiming at the helicopter. The horses are running in. It was pandemonium, and uh, the fire marshal shut me down. Oh and um, I saved all my money to do that show. I put everything on the line. And uh, in the morning, Ticketmaster took all the money and refunded everyone, right? So that was one part of it. And, you know, I was happy that the fans got their money back. But for me, you know, I sort of woke up with like $770 in my bank account because everything was attached to it. So everything siphoned me. And, oh, my um, God. All the fans were really about to destroy it's crazy, me because it wasn't really your fault. I feel like it was more them with security. I mean, so that's a whole other conversation. You know, when you when you're the promoter, you have to take responsibility of of all things. And um, I knew that the fans were going to crush me the next day. And uh, my partner um, in Manhattan, Rob Fernandez, said, uh, "The only thing that can save you right now is if there's no internet." And literally, the next day, Sandy Storm came. And the internet was gone for 12 days. So my so career was saved. My career was saved. But um, at that time, I thought I was done. I was going to have to retire. So you doing basically this. lost your whole life That's savings for that day when you were supposed Everything. to triple your life savings. Yeah, no, listen, there was millions of dollars in the ticket account. And I thought I hit. I was, you know, made Ready a few million. Buy a house in the Hamptons. Made a few million doing what I love. Um, and the next day, woke up with like 770 seven dollars literally and uh i just had to pick up my bootstraps and go on yeah lou you got you have a story of consistency persistency and honestly you're a great friend great mentor and i appreciate your time here man thank you thanks for coming